Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. Hope that you are safe from harm, that you are taking precautions to protect yourself and your family. I know it's difficult for many. A lot of people I know out there having to work every day and, uh, you know, may not feel quite as safe as, uh, as they want to, but uh, it's something we're all dealing with. I do believe there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, before we get to that point, we have to remain vigilant and do the things necessary to kind of keep ourselves healthy. And so big news as always in the world of sports. I know we don't have any press conferences to attend or ball games to cover, but there's always something going on. And, and uh, a couple of things I wanted to get into today. I had an opportunity to speak at length with Mike Leach yesterday one-on-one. You can look for that in written form later today on Gene's page. I'll have that over there. Not sure how long it's going to be. might end up being a two-parter. 
I don't like doing two two parters, but sometimes it gets really really long. And so look for that. I also interviewed Darcel McBath earlier today. We'll talk about that later in the show. Interviewed Brandon Carter, former All American offensive lineman there at Texas Tech. He shared some real insight. You know, it's a difficult difficult undertaking to take a young man who has done things the same way his entire playing career, and then now you space him out like space invaders and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. And uh, I'm interested to see how that transition works at Mississippi State. I think that is of, of paramount importance. And Brandon Carter said at times he struggled with that because you're kind of used to being almost like in field goal protection, you know, with everybody on top of one another throughout your high school career, and then you get into this new way of doing things where you're out there on an island. I made that Q&A free yesterday. You can go read that. That's also on Gene's page. We're doing most of that content free. Most of our recruiting stuff remains VIP. And speaking of recruiting news, you know we had some big news last night. Four-star quarterback Sawyer Robertson commits to Mississippi State. And it's one of those things I think many of us expected this to happen. I give Paul Jones credit. The very first time he interviewed Sawyer after his visit to Mississippi State, PJ said, that kid's coming to stay. I was a little more reluctant. I said, you know what, let's see what happens because he was still planning to take some other campus visits and things like that. And there are a lot of people that have a tendency to be kind of prisoners of the moment. You know, there's all this uh, recency bias, as people say. It's, well, you know, the last team that he saw, it's the one he loves the most. And, and so that was the discussion is that he was going to take several more visits. Well, then these things changed. You know, the world changed on us. And uh, there wasn't spring visits to take and that sort of stuff. And so he elected to go ahead and make the call. Last week, we began to hear a lot of chatter behind the scenes that this thing may be coming to a very rapid conclusion. It did. Not an unexpected conclusion. We're very, very happy to have Sawyer Robertson, who uh, at this point in the modern era, at the very least, the highest rated quarterback Mississippi State has, has ever had committed in the modern era. You know, people forget Melvin Barkham, you know, and I've, I've got some age on me too, but I wasn't old enough to remember Melvin Barkham's recruitment, but I've done enough research about Mississippi State football and Rocky Falker and then the, the 60s and 70s. Melvin Barkham was one of the best players in the country. Had the opportunity to go to Notre Dame, Alabama, Georgia, everywhere he wanted to go. Chose to stay home and go to Mississippi State. He was the crown jewel of that recruiting class, and then Rocky Falker beat him out. And Barkham played some running back, eventually went out and played wide receiver. Very, very talented player. But he was a blue chip that I don't think, you know, the people of today don't quite understand what a huge recruiting win that was for Mississippi State back then. But Sawyer Robertson, certainly, I would say at the very least, the best quarterback commitment Mississippi State has had on paper probably since Kevin Fant. And that's going back, you know, a few decades now. And, you know, Kevin comes in, you know, kind of highly heralded and uh, we expected him to be the guy to take us into the next, you know, the next millennium. But, uh, you know, some things happen. I think a lot of Kevin fan, even to this day, the Kevin fans, the first person that ever told me about Brad Cumbust. I was there to watch an offensive lineman play, a kid that was committed to Texas, to Louisiana Tech that Mississippi State was recruiting. And fan says, hey, you know what? The best kid on our team is this kid Brad Cumbest? He goes, you know, he plays wide receiver for us, but we don't throw it very often. And then they, they threw it 
and it was triple coverage, and Compass goes up and makes a tackle. I mean, goes and makes a catch, pardon me. And uh, and so that was my first look at Brad Cumbus, and now he's Mississippi State Bulldog. And so uh, it's just interesting dynamics. It kind of all connects at some point. But I wanted to share that with you guys because I think it's one of those things that a lot of people are, are looking for some analysis about this. And here's as simple as I can make it. Mike Leach showed up on campus and began to recruit the kids that he was already recruiting when he was at Washington State because he understands what it takes to play in this offense. I had a discussion with Matt White this morning. We were talking about how Mike Leach and Dan Mullen are arguably the best two quarterback coaches in the country. And Matt says, you know, Dan's situation is a little different. Dan kind of takes what his guys do well and then kind of builds a playbook around them. You know, because you look at all the differences between Tyler Russell and Chris Ralph and Dak Prescott. You know, Dak is really more of what Dan Mullen wanted. And I said that for, you know, for probably the better part of two years. Dak Prescott is more of what we want at quarterback because he can handle the running component and is skilled enough as a passer to keep people more than honest. They have to kind of game plan for that. Dak Prescott obviously proving in the National Football League that uh, that Halton High School is a pretty good place to start. Guys done a great job. Mike Leach, on the other hand, he's going to run his scheme. He goes out and recruits guys to run his scheme, and he has done everything except have the parade all-American quarterback type kid. You know, he goes out and gets these guys. You know, Cliff Kingsbury, I guess, is one of those guys you look at. You know, and and I, we coach and I talked about that. You know, that you know Cliff is a guy that good pedigree. But a lot of his quarterbacks have been these kids that have little warts. You know, you get some kids that have walked on or grad transfers or junior college players. It's been a different deal. And I asked Coach about that. I said, you know, it's, do you need that kid that's the underdog? Do you need the guy with a chip on his shoulder? And he goes, no, I need the guy that has a need to compete. There are a lot of people that are competitors, but there are some people that are driven and they thrive upon that. And uh, I get it. And after talking to Mike Leach again, it's one of those things that I feel like I've got a better understanding of who he is and what a great fit he is here at Mississippi State. I want to remind you, our friends at Bulldog Burger Company are still open for business. There is no in-room dining. However, you can order online at Eat With Us, and you can get it to go order at any of that, that family restaurants. But Bulldog Burger Company, here to serve you. You can go by and have curbside service, or you can go in and pick up your food. You just can't eat within the facility, and that's kind of par for the course right now. But don't deny yourself the luxury that is the great restaurant-quality hamburger, and you're going to find those right there at Bulldog Burger Company in two locations now. Right here, the flagship on University Drive in God's Country in Starkville, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Great food, great prices, great people. You're going to love them. Order the spring rolls, bring them home. They'll put the uh, the fondue on the side for you. You can get the Bulldog Burger Company experience right there at home. Matter of fact, we plan to do that this week, too. We're going to bring some Bulldog Burger Company home for us. I'm not even sure what I'm going to order yet, but I know it's going to be delicious, and it will be for you, too. Again, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet. M-E-A-T. So, right back to this conversation with Mike Leach. I am sure, like most people, Mike Leach is probably a lot more comfortable in a one-to-one type setting. I have noticed him at press conferences at times. You know, it's a, it's a little different. But I'll tell you, he's always so entertaining and always so energetic. I mean, it's one of those things you look at and you can understand why people kind of gravitate to him. 
But after having the opportunity to speak at length, one-on-one, -on -one, I am more convinced than ever. He is absolutely the right guy for this job, but also, too, the right guy for this fan base. He gets it. He understands it. We are cut from the same cloth. Yeah, he wears Tony Bahama shirts and lives in Key West in the offseason, that sort of stuff. And, and that's good work if you can get it. We'd all love to be able to do that. But Mike Leach values accountability. He values hard work. He values people that understand you have to play up to a standard. You know, and, and speaking to, you know, to several of the former players of his, they'll tell you the accountability piece is a major, major part of it. You know, speaking with Brandon Carter yesterday, he told me, he said, you know, you don't step on Leach's toes. You always know who's boss. He'll take care of you. He'll be respectful to you. He'll treat you well, but you don't buck him. Talking to Darcel McBath, he kind of echoed those same sentiments today. It's one of those deals, as I told him, I said, I have heard from people close that if you're late, you're locked out. And, and McBath kind of laughed it off and said, yeah, that's right. You know, that is a symptom of a bigger problem. You know, when you have guys that are not willing to be accountable, you have guys that are not willing to do the little things. If this meeting is not important enough to you to be there early, then uh, that says a little bit about your commitment level. But everybody that I spoke to from Vince Maley, from Washington State, to, to Brandon Carter, to Darcel McBath, all these people that have played for him, there is a, an incredible amount of respect for Mike Leach. There's not this fear of Mike Leach. You know, fear commands a respect all its own. But there are a lot of times, too, when, when, you're, when you're a little bit prickly, it's kind of difficult to have a good bedside manner. And Brandon Carter shared in his, his piece with me that uh, they had a spirited practice and, uh, during spring football. And they were in the middle of uh, redoing the turf on the practice fields. And so they had to practice kind of in a makeshift practice field and it happened to be an old rabbit field. And uh, he just finally had had enough that day. And uh, he and his O-line coach had got into a bit of a disagreement. And then the next thing you know, uh, Leach has got the kid in his car and uh, riding around. And the kid says he's covered in sweat and rabbit poo. And there's Leach telling him, listen, I appreciate you and your work you put in. Let's hang out here and do a good job. You know, and so you hear these things and you, these you know, these sound bites and that sort of stuff from Mike Leach, and you know he'll talk to you about anything. He is a, a great conversationalist, and any topic that you bring up, he has some knowledge that is very germane to the conversation. He is more than willing to share it. But talking to him about football, you can tell there is a passion there that is unlike anything else. You know, a lot of people that talk a good game about everything because they they, they have an interest in everything. But you can tell this one thing when it comes to football with Mike Leach is we're going to do it a certain way, and we're going to, and that's going to be my way. This is how we're going to do it. This is what worked for me at Valdosta State. This is what worked for me at Iowa uh, Wesleyan. This is what worked for me at Kentucky. It worked at Texas Tech. It worked at Washington State. That's different levels of football, different geographic regions, and that's one of the things that I've, I've always learned about people. With this. Well, you know, you know, kids in the South are a little bit different, and that might be true. You know, there are some, some different circumstances that kids have to deal with here. But I think when you look at the talent level, and I've got a good friend of mine were speaking earlier today, y'all mess around and let Mike Leach recruit at the same level Dan Mullen did, and he's going to change the culture at Mississippi State. Not that it's a bad culture now, but he's going he's gonna to change the expectation level. Mike Leach has never really recruited well in the eyes of the recruiting analyst. But in the guys that keep score on a scoreboard, he's recruited awfully well for them. 
what will he do when he has a different brand of athlete to work with? And we talked a little bit about recruiting, about selling Mississippi State and that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, he's really excited about being closer to the players. You know, because of the fact geographically Mississippi State, within a four four hour radius, you've got some population centers that can really, really, really support a program. And that's always been there. But I mean, you go out and look right now, but look at the, the recruiting footprint beginning to expand when it comes to quarterbacks. You get two committed right now before April 1st from the state of Texas. I mean, it's difficult to get two guys to commit to being in a two quarterback class. And usually the second guy comes late. You know, everybody kind of wants to exhaust their options and kind of see if they can be the guy in their class. And Mike Leach has already got two kids committed. And it's just now April 1st. So you've already got the, the recruiting aspect of the quarterback position handled. And uh, one of the things that I asked him to, because I know many of you have the same question. You know, Coach, it seems like it's getting a little bit crowded there in the quarterback room. You know, what, what's your philosophy on this? And he shared with me he likes to have four scholarship quarterbacks and then two walk-ons that are capable of playing. I just kind of get the sense that he's not really interested in having, you know, the kind of the throw-in walk-on. You know, everybody has one or two of those kids that, uh, you know, they're the, they're the son of a uh, of a big donor or something, and they just want to wear the uniform. They're never going to play it down. They're just kind of there, you know, as a favor. I just kind of get the sense that that's not really what Mike Leach wants to do. You know, he wants to be able to rep guys that are capable of helping the team. You know, this is not, you know, we're not going to hand out like an honorable mention quarterback depth chart award or anything like that. But he wants his guys to come in, be intelligent, be good decision makers, and be good leaders. And I asked him about, you know, what do you anticipate, you know, happening long term, you know, with a quarterback position? And I think it's one of those deals where Mike has just simply understood this is the kind of guy that works in the system that I want to run. And so we're going to recruit to that end. You know, we're not going to go out there and reinvent the wheel. And listen, we got a couple of very capable quarterbacks right here in the state of Mississippi this year in this recruiting cycle. Luke Altmyer is currently, uh, you know, committed to Florida State right here at Starville High School. You know, very much a Mississippi State family. And so you look at that and you say, okay, well, had there been a, been a pre-existing relationship, it might be a little different. I don't know that Luke was on the Washington State radar. And I think he's made a good decision for himself. I think he'll do a good job at Florida State. I think he fits this offense. I look at a guy like Ty Keyes, who's very capable of making those throws down the field. But he also, I think Ty needs that running component because he is such a great runner. I think that aspect of his game has to be utilized. It's almost like trying to make Omar Connor a West Coast quarterback. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I think you need, I think he needs his feet. He needs to be able to get outside the pocket and improvise a little bit. I don't know that that really fits what Mississippi State wants to do now. I think Ty Keith is a tremendous quarterback. I really like him a lot. And I think had Mississippi State not made a coaching change, I think he, he fits what Dan Mullen wants to do. I think he fits in many respects what Joe Moorhead wants to do. I don't know that he fits what Mike Leach wants to do. And I think he'll go somewhere else and have a great career. I hope he doesn't go to Ole Miss because I think he's I think he's capable of winning some ball games. I hope he goes somewhere else. I really do. But uh, you know, I, I don't think that we're going to be hunting in the same, going down the same old trails we have been. 
You know, I think we have expanded our footprint. And I think you're seeing that happen very rapidly. And to be fair, and I, I don't mean this to be disrespectful to anybody else, but, uh, you know, the folks at Washington State just didn't have much to recruit to. When I interviewed Brittany Thackery, uh, who was uh, director of player personnel here now, you know, she made a comment that if they could ever get kids on campus, they felt like if we could ever get them here and come see what we have and visit with our staff, they'll feel it's, it's a real family. You know, that's similar to what Dan Mullen said. There were a lot of people that just kind of overlooked Mississippi State and said, you know, if we could ever get them on campus, we can sell them on our facilities, we can sell them on our community, we can sell them on our program and our culture here. And so in that respect, I think this Washington State group coming in fully understands how to sell things that are often difficult. Leach mentioned yesterday that, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of unique about Washington State is it's kind of a rural school in a, a very urban conference. And when you look up and down the Pac-12, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, outside of perhaps Corvallis in Oregon State, just about everybody is in a major metropolitan city. And so you're kind of recruiting a specific brand of athlete. When you recruit a kid to Pullman, Washington, they understand that, you know, listen, there aren't, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of major concerts. They're not going to be a lot of places to, to go on a date. You know, it's a college town. And Mike Leach likes college towns. It fits who he is. I, I don't think you could ever see Mike Leach like a, a Texas or a Florida, for that matter, or UCLA. It just doesn't fit him. He fits here. I look forward to you guys reading that. I look forward to go back and reliving that and typing it back up. But again, and I reiterate this, there are so many people out there that are enemies of Mississippi State that try to suggest, oh my gosh, Mike Leach, Mississippi State, that'll never work. Guys, you know, the proof's going to be in the pudding. But there is a lot more in common between Mississippi State and Mike Leach than there are differences. And the more you get to know him, you'll understand he's not just this, you know, you know, guy that has these colorful comments and press conferences and that sort of stuff. And all that stuff is fun. But at the end of the day, this is not the Def Comedy Jam. This is the SEC. We're getting ready to go play football. And so the things that I continue to hear from Mike, from assistant coaches to former players, tells me all of the things that we were critical of Joe Moorhead for, a lack of accountability, uh, you know, people said, you know, many times that, uh, you know, he was a player's coach to a fault, that uh, he was not a strict enough disciplinarian, that he allowed many of the players to kind of walk over him and, and, and in turn some of the assistant coaches. Uh, that's not an issue with Mike Leach. Brandon Carter, Vince Maley, everybody will tell you, he, he will absolutely run you off. If you're going to cause trouble, he is going to run you off. He's just, you know, he's going to coach those kids. He's not just going to be looking. Yes, one of the things, too, there was this overcorrection when Sylvester Croom was hired. And I know Croom turned a lot of people off early on, and, I, and I'm still a Sylvester Croom fan. I think he is a fine person. But Jackie Sherrill remains a very beloved figure in Mississippi State football circles. And one of the very first things Sylvester Croom came in and said is how bad the culture was at Mississippi State. And the NFL executives looked at Mississippi State players as thugs and things like that. And so there were a lot of things. So right out of the gate, I think Kroom kind of got off on the wrong foot with some people. Everybody wants to kind of discredit their predecessor. And I think in many respects, Kroom made a big mistake there. Because a lot of people, even to this day, believe Jackie Sherrill was run out of town 
you know, by a corrupt organization, the NCAA, and, and we'll have more on that later. Not in the show, but I've got some other things we're working on. We'll share with you in the coming months. But Chrome comes in, and all of a sudden, we just start running people off. I mean, it, every day you turn around, somebody's leaving the program, somebody's transferring, you know, and you're beginning to ask yourself, what is going on? I don't get that with Leach. You know, he is not going to run somebody off to prove a point. If there are some foundational standards, however, that you break, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of things. That's one of the things Brandon Carter said repeatedly, is you knew where to go with Leach. He is going to take care of you, but if he told you not to do something and then you did it, the consequences are going to be severe, and they should be. There has to be a level of accountability. And listen, the, the truth of the matter is, while most people won't admit this, most people want to be managed. They want to be evaluated. They want somebody to be able to tell them they've done a good job, and when they're wrong, say, hey, listen, this is the wrong way to do this. People don't want to be micromanaged, but people want to be managed. They want to have direction in life, especially young people, because football players want to get better. They want to sharpen the saw and improve their craft. And if you let guys just kind of come in here and coast and, and, live and rest on their laurels and say, you know what, hey, he was a great player in high school, then he's never going to reach his full potential. But if you come in here and say, hey, listen, we think that you're capable of being a great player, and this is how we're going to do it. And if that guy bucks you, well, then you got to move on. But those guys that come in and buy in and do what's after them, they're going to do big things here at Mississippi State. And I think once you read this Q&A with Leach, you're going to be just like me and say, you know what, Mike gets it. He gets it. And uh, you know, he asked me a lot of questions, too. You know, then half the time I thought he was interviewing me, you know, just kind of talking about, you know, our history and things like that. You know, we talked. I reminded him, too, about that 97 game, you know, when Tim Couch came down here and, you know, Eric Brown, you know, had the big play at the end of the ball game. State wins the game, beats Tim Couch. And uh, it was incredible. And uh, I asked him about some of those things, you know, what he remembered about that experience. And he said, you know, he remembered how loud it was. But more importantly, he remembered, he said, we got hit a lot. And he said, I mean an awful lot. We got hit. And so we are getting back to a very nasty, very physical, and blue-collar brand of football. And I absolutely love it. Speaking of loving it, I have uh, made the switch to Hawthorne. You should, too. You know, many of us young men, and I, I still consider myself on the on the lower end of that, uh, nobody ever says, hey, listen, here's how you back along, here's how you work along, here's what you should do. And you can find all that at Hawthorne.co, because most, most men are walking around with, uh, you know, a scent that probably doesn't match them. It's probably just something that somebody gave them as a gift. And so they're like, hey, well, I need cologne. I want to smell nice, so I buy this. But uh, go to hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. And take the quiz. They will then pair you up based on your preferences with the scents that best fit you. You can get cologne. They have the work scent and the play scent. You're going to love them both. They're complimentary. The play scent, probably a little more playful, shall we say. Get shampoo, conditioner, the body wash, hand lotion, anything you need. You can get it right there. You're going to love it. I love it. And we'll give you some incentive to give them an opportunity to serve you. Promo code BONEYARD will get you 10% off your very first order. You can set up the punishing shipments right there. But I'm telling you, this is going to be something once you try it, you're going to say, I want to stick with this. And I will promise you, I believe this is the best cologne 
that I have ever worn. Again, that's hopthorn.co. So let's get into the top 10 list today. This is going to be a difficult one for me. And I will give uh, credit today. And I told you guys that I would give you guys credit when you when you send your suggestions. And I am overwhelmed with suggestions. I have so many people say, hey, Steve, will you do this? Will you do that? Uh, I'm going to try to get to all of them and uh, continue to keep them coming. The more interesting ones are the ones that kind of strike a chord with me will get done first. This one comes from our friend Matt Haynes from Decatur, Alabama. Matt, a man of the cloth. So senior pastor out there. Long-time Boneyard listener. He goes, hey, Steve, uh, what do you think about doing a top 10 Aerosmith songs? And so, number one, Matt, you're speaking my language. Aerosmith's one of my favorite bands of all time. I have just about all of their albums. There's a couple of the newer ones that I have missed, passed on. I think Just Push Play was probably my last one. But Aerosmith is right there with me. Uh, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, those guys, also members of the recovery community, kind of in and out at times. But uh, So a lot of their music has a special feeling for me. And uh, there are a few things that I wanted to say about this because uh, I, I'm a huge Aerosmith fan, huge. There are, there are a lot of cover songs in the catalog that some people kind of confuse as their songs. Now, their renditions of them are often better than the originals. But, uh, you know, we talk Come Together, and I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, stuff like that, Train Kept Rolling. Those are not Aerosmith songs. You know, Diane Warren wrote I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, and then Aerosmith recorded it for the Armageddon soundtrack, and it was a huge hit. But it wasn't their song. Their performance of that song was incredible. Uh, and so I, I want to run some things down here for you real quick here, just because I think it's important to know, even though Aerosmith has been one of the most prolific rock bands and been around since 1973. They have not had a lot of albums in the last several years, but uh, you know we can start you know, the self-titled album Aerosmith. I I, I love that album. I, when I travel sometimes, when I went to Omaha last year, I listened to that album back to back a couple times. Love everything on that album. And so, if you're looking to kind of get started with classic Aerosmith, start there, and then you go to Get Your Wings and Toys and Attic and Things started changing a little bit after the, the Draw the Line album. That's when uh, they had had some success, obviously. And, and if you've read Walk This Way, the Aerosmith uh, biography, when, and I have, and it is tremendous, this is when things kind of change. Your Night in the Ruts, that's the name of the, the album, but it's also um, kind of indicative of where they were in their career. Really began to struggle, had some infighting. Joe Perry leaves the band. Then they record Rock in a Hard Place, and uh, Lightning Strikes is a decent song, but Rock in a Hard Place was not a good album. Joe comes back. They record Done with Mirrors back in 85. The best song on the album is Let the Music Do the Talking, and that was a Joe Perry solo track. And so it took a while to kind of get them going. So they got everybody sober and got to go on the permanent vacation hit. And so Aerosmith was kind of reborn. Right there. And it was a collaboration with Run DMC in the middle of that that kind of launched them to a new generation of fans. And the next thing you know, that they rattle off platinum albums, just boom, boom, boom. You come back with Pump, Get a Grip, Nine Lives was great, Just Push Play. And so that's kind of where we are. So I'm going to give you uh, my top 10. I'm going to give an honorable mention to a few songs. I know some of you are going to say, well, Steve, I disagree. And that's okay. You have the right to be wrong in America. And if you don't believe that, you can turn on any of these cable news shows and you can see that there are people around you that are exercising their right to be wrong on a daily basis. 
I don't watch that stuff. Uh, honorable mentions to Ragdoll, which was a big hit. Great video during the MTV generation. Crying was a great one. That's the Alicia Silverstone and uh, Liv Tyler had like a little trio of uh, videos there. Crazy. And then Falling in Love is Heart on the Knees. Probably my favorite song on that Nine Lives album. But to my top ten list. The number tenth song on this list is one that's very, very personal to me. It is a song that Steven Tyler wrote shortly after he got sober. He and Desmond Child wrote this song. And uh, if you read Walk This Way, he talks about how the song kind of wrote itself. They were just kind of sitting around talking about recovery after a, an AA meeting or so. And he said, uh, you know, I let the right ones out. I kept the right ones out, let the wrong ones in. And he said immediately the next line came to him, but I had an angel of mercy to see me through all my sin. And so the whole song came together uh, really, really well. And uh, it is a song about recovery. It is a song about his path to recovery. And uh, it, it's very personal to me as a person of recovery. And so even now when I listen to that song, I get a little emotional. I get chills. Like, But halfway through when he starts to, you know, the, the classic Steven Tyler, you know, scatting or whatever you want to call it, the second half of that song to me is just filled with emotion because I feel like there is some commonality and uh, it really resonates with me. And so if I ever had to put together like one of those things where you had to put a top 10 list together of the only 10 songs you could listen to the rest of your life, Amazing is on there for me. Number nine on the list is Mama Ken. Love Mama Ken. Uh, first time I heard it was actually when Guns N' Roses covered it on GNR Lives. And I went back and uh, I was just a teen back then. But Mama Ken loved the original. Uh, it's one of those songs, too, that when you go back and listen to it, it's like every time I hear something a little bit different. And that's off that debut album. And again, I could listen to that album over and over and over again. I, I, I'm telling you, if you want real classic Aerosmith, go back to the beginning. Go back to 73. Number eight on the list was a huge, huge crossover hit. What It Takes, that's on the Pump album. Pump album was really a, a strong return for them. I think a lot of people wondered after permanent vacation if they were going to be able to maintain would they stay sober. Uh, they come back with Pump, and I'll tell you, it, uh, there are so many songs on that album that you know, people still talk about that still get a lot of airplay. Uh, the Pump album, if the album cover itself was a little bit controversial. You can go see for yourself, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't think it was. They, they kind of made it out to be a bigger deal than it really was. But, uh, you know, uh, F-I-N-E, fine, that's, uh, that's an acronym. It's one of those AA deals. But uh, Loving and Elevators on this album, narrowly missed the list. Janie's Got a Gun is on there. That was a huge MTV hit. I just think that song is a little bit overplayed. I like things a little more up-tempo. Uh, and then what it takes is the uh, is the – the last song on the album, I think it is uh, one of the better Aerosmith songs of all time. Like the, one of the opening lines is, uh, there goes my old girlfriend, there's another diamond ring. And I think many of us have been in those situations. Number seven on my list is Draw the Line. It's a title track off the Draw the Line album. I, I didn't think that album, you know, was quite as strong as some other people do uh, I think Critical Mass is pretty good, and Kings and Queens and Milk Cow Blues is funny. It's a cover song. Again, Aerosmith has like a cover song almost every album. But Draw the Line, it's, um, 
little double entendre there with them, kind of kind of a drug reference there. But I, I believe that when when you go back and listen to the the chord structure and the guitar that Joe Perry and, and Brad Woodford play, it's just a different level. Number six for me, and now this may be a controversial pick, and I don't really care because it's my list, is pink because it's my favorite color. The video was incredible. It was next level type stuff. I, I, I don't, even today I watch it sometimes and laugh. But uh, it's very, very clever, filled with a lot of innuendo. Uh, when uh, I remember that year when I Don't Want to Miss a Thing and Pink were both up for uh, Video Music Awards. They interviewed Stephen Tyler and they asked him, are you rooting for one? He goes, yeah, rooting for Pink, because they wrote Pink. Pink was their song. Number five on my list, and some people have said this song is written about Vince Neil from Motley Crue. Nobody's ever admitted that. I think that's probably just more urban legend. But it's Dude Looks Like a Lady. That was like the first major hit uh, for Aerosmith and, and kind of the, the new incarnation of themselves. Angel was a big MTV hit too, but I think Dude Looks Like a Lady, that was the one that kind of brought them back as a fun-loving performance band. I remember being in high school when I bought that that album. And it, it was one of those things too that when you put it in and you hit play, you, you knew you were listening to to somebody that wasn't a flash in the pan, that they were legit. So now we're getting, this is when people get, the order gets a little skewed. Some people, it's kind of based on your age, I guess, or your preferences. Number four for me is Sweet Emotion. Some people would say that's the greatest Aerosmith song of all time. I, I like it a lot too, and it's also written about Joe Perry's wife at the time. Steve Tyler did not care for her, and he wrote the song about, you know, you talk about things that nobody cares, you're wearing those things that nobody wears. That's because he hated Joe Perry's wife. And so that's what the song is about. So it's not really a sweet emotion. It's kind of a diss track, as the kids say today, about Joe Perry's wife. Number three, I thought this was kind of a, a transformative phase for Aerosmith. Back in the Saddle is one of those songs, I think, when Steve Tyler quit being a singer and kind of, kind of became, became the, uh, the screaming demon, as they say. It's the lead track on the Aerosmith Rocks album, which was one of the great early albums for this band. Uh, we get into, you know, Back in the Saddle, Last Child, Rats in the Cellar, and that's, you know, of course you had Toys and Attic too, right? Sick as a Dog, Nobody's Fault, Licking a Promise. You can. This is another one of those albums you can listen to start to finish. Most of the songs are just over three minutes in length, and so if there's one you don't like, you can kind of get to there pretty quickly. But I like this album an awful lot. Number two, it's a quintessential song. When you begin to think about it, you know, there's these songs that are kind of defining bands. When you mention the name, you immediately think of the songs and Walk This Way for me. Uh, Run DMC wanted to cover it. They ended up doing a collaborative video and song. And uh, if, in the vocals on the chorus are much different. And this version of the song, the Run DMC version with, with Aerosmith, great video. You can go check it out for you kids that, that, uh, that never saw it. It's incredible. But uh, Walk This Way initially didn't have the screaming chorus. That came when Aerosmith came back, when Aerosmith began to get sober. And number one, how could there be anything other than Dream On? Dream On, one of the greatest songs of all time, regardless of genre. When uh, when that album came out in 73, a lot of people wondered if they even played a song on the radio. 
and uh, it is an incredible song. And uh, the older that I get, the more it means to me. All these lines in my face are getting clearer too. So that's the list. Your list may vary, but your list would be wrong. So I've got some other people that have sent me some suggestions. As of now, for for Friday, I'm, I'm thinking of going back to movies. And so we'll get back to that. But that's it, the top 10 Aerosmith songs. And this is a difficult list for me to put together because I love Aerosmith. I'm not just a casual fan of Aerosmith. I've been to see them in concert. Uh, I have just about every album and uh, read the books, everything. feel very connected to those guys. And so that's my list. And then I hope that uh, you guys, if you hadn't in a while, go listen to some Aerosmith today. It'll make you feel better about your station in life. I want to remind you guys, too, our good friends at Campus Bookmark, they're here to serve you. Campus Bookmark, a Stark Billigan institution, been here a long, long time. Many of you bought your books from Campus Bookmark, used their free parking lot out back, and some of the commuter students still do that. Looking forward to you guys coming back to school sooner rather than later. I miss those guys. I tell you, it's a different day and time. There's just so much energy in town when the students are here. Campus Bookmark can still fill your orders right now. You go to campusbookmark.net. You can order online. We'll give you some incentive to do so. Promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. You can get jerseys. You can get T-shirts. You can get things for your home. You've got gifts. Listen, we're not out and running around a lot right now, too. So online shopping is important. Be sure to shop with Campus Bookmark. You'll be glad you did. Love those folks. They've been great to me all these many years that they have been on the show. Big fans of theirs, for sure. So uh, a couple things before we get out the door today. The Division One baseball announcement on Monday, pretty much as we expected, everybody gets a year back. Scholarship limitations for next year are waived, and that's based on your seniors. And then there's the whole deal about you can't, if you increase their scholarship money, let's say for an example, I don't know anybody's numbers, so I don't want to speak out of turn here and give you a name, but let's say Mississippi State had a senior that was on, I don't know, 40% scholarship last year. Well, he can return at 40% this year and not count towards the 11.7. If you bump him up to say 50%, well, then that 10% counts. Is part of your 11.7. He's grandfathered in with what he had, but if you add to it, that counts against your number. And so now they'll figure it out, and uh, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. You're going to have bigger rosters. You're going to have a lot more people here. And so Vanderbilt, uh, for the first time, is kind of at a, on a level, a more level playing field. Interesting. Interesting. My hope is that we can get some other things done. And again, like I shared with you guys last week, I am in favor of, of the transfer rule for most sports about the one-time transfer thing. And again, I think it's got to be with guys transferring for playing time or trying to get closer to home or whatever. I, you know, this free agency, like if you've got a guy out there and, and listen, you don't want to impede people's ability or whatever, I get it. But uh, I think with football, we've still got some things to figure out. But I am for this in baseball. Speaking of uh, NCAA type stuff, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch it. I'm sure that it'll air a million times between now and uh, and the time it goes away. Is the scheme? It aired last night on HBO, and I am, uh, as you guys are well aware, if you've listened to this show, I'm a big fan of all this the, the NCAA legislation, that sort of stuff, and how they kind of handle enforcement. 
I was very interested last night to hear the wiretaps of Arizona coach Sean Miller and LSU coach Will Wade because there have been so many people that have quoted them. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to hear them say it and hear the inflection in their voice. Listening to that stuff last night, it makes your skin crawl a little bit. I, I am not a huge basketball recruiting fan because there are so many moving parts to it, so many people that are involved in it. Sometimes it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I just, you know, I just don't care for that part of the game. I understand that it's out there. I'm not a Pollyanna. I just don't want to be part of all that. And so when I've read this stuff, it kind of had my attention. But then to hear Dawkins talk about all this stuff and to hear those wiretaps and hear him on the phone, of course, neither party understood they were being recorded because it was a federal wiretap. And you hear Will Wade talking about how how LSU can pay these kids more than they'll make in the G League or whatever they're calling it. You know, there is a cultural problem at LSU. And then people say, well, you know, it wasn't like this until Will, Will Wade got there. I don't know that I'm, I'm convinced of that. You know, you had a situation with Our Lady of the Lake where you had the LSU donor that was a uh, you know, basically using his position there and paid Rohan Davey, and, and I can't remember the other player, but uh, basically redirected funds for a child's cancer charity to pay players to go to LSU or to supplement their, their income. And so then when you hear Will Wade talk about it, you know, it's like Will Wade says, hey, you know, we can do this, we can do that, or whatever. Uh, there is a bigger issue here. There is a symptom of a bigger problem. And, and I really think the FBI – Looks a little bit like the Keystone Cops in this deal, and I and I don't know how they uh, how it's not entrapment because when they sat down with many of the partners, they made the proposal. Now these people were out there, of course, acting in their own best interest, you know, trying to exploit these kids and make as much money as they could from them. But the FBI is the one that says, "Hey, let's put a company together, and then let's all do this, and you go out and find coaches." And then we'll pay them for their influence with kids to try to get them to sign, you know, with us and allow us to represent them. Well, at that point, you know, the coaches weren't being paid by Dawkins and his associates. And so I often wonder how this thing even made it to court in that respect. But they had an opportunity to change the game. And somebody somewhere convinced the FBI to kind of back off of this. You know, they could have made these documents available to the NCAA. They elected not to do that. Uh, they could have changed college basketball as we know it. And that was the big media scare in the beginning, if you recall, is that they're going to go after everybody involved in all this kind of stuff. And uh, there's this elaborate scheme, of course, to the shoe companies that kind of finance some of the stuff in hopes that those guys will sign an endorsement deal if and when they go pro. One of the things I thought was interesting that Dawkins mentioned is it's all marketing. And so, like, if let's say for an example – if uh, you've got, you know, a big time, you know, blue chip prospect playing basketball in Saginaw, Michigan, and you want to sell tennis shoes in Saginaw, Michigan, well, then you have those kids wear your shoes for free. Well, that's the best way to start having people go buy those shoes. And so in that respect, it's kind of ingenious at its core. But I walked away from that thing last night thinking, you know, men's basketball recruiting is just as ugly as you expect it to be. And many of the people involved in this thing uh, they had no qualms about taking money. Then, and like one in one situation when he was talking to uh, to Book, the uh, assistant coach at Arizona, he goes, "Hey man, we're going to give you I think it was six grand a month, 
we're going to give you six grand a month, and you do whatever you want to with that money. You keep it for yourself. You take a vacation, or you use it to recruit with. But it's going to be your money. So initially, he was not getting any money from Dawkins. And then all of a sudden, when the FBI gets involved and they start payrolling all of this, then Dawkins sees this as a way to help the people around him. You know, he sees a way for everybody to benefit. And many times in this production, he talks about, man, this guy is so dumb. It doesn't make any business sense for him to be giving all this money away. And Dawkins clearly was so uh, caught up in the cult of personality and this pursuit of easy money that he overlooked all the red flags. Generally, when somebody is giving you something for nothing, there are some strings attached. There is a setup in, in play here. And he was clearly being set up. And, uh, got, you know, I think he got, went, what, a year and a day, maybe or 18 months and a day, I think was his uh, his prison term. And now he's working for Atlantic Records, and he's always been a very enterprising businessman. But I don't think any of this changes anything. And then I saw just before we came on air today that LSU released a statement that nothing has changed with Will Wade. I guess they were obviously uh, aware of what those wiretaps contained before today's statements. But I just don't see how you can allow that guy to continue to be your coach. You know, you have you have a head coach, not an assistant coach, not a staffer, not a GA, not a trainer, not a ball boy. You have the head coach at Louisiana State University discussing paying players in an FBI wiretap, not not in a casual conversation that somebody just happened over here. It's on a federal wiretap. And then you've got Sean Miller out there saying, you know, they will wait basically is, uh, hey, he's doing this and doing that. And, uh, and so it is a very seedy world in the underbelly of college athletics. And I, I really don't know how to fix it except for this. I think what you have to do is you have to end some careers. You have to have some people that are going to be banned for life. And, you know, the coaches are just kind of means to an end. I, you know, there has to be some serious consequence at some point, and you can't really punish the boosters. You, you, you like to think that. I mean, you look at the old Miss case, they disassociated some people for an extended amount of time, but there's nothing anywhere to stop a disassociated booster from walking up to the ticket office and buying a ticket on game day or having somebody give them tickets and then, them, you know, them go to a ball game. There's nothing to stop that. There's nothing to stop them from wearing their favorite school's insignia. There's no nothing to stop them from continuing to contact recruits. You know, you, the impetus of all this has to go to the coaches. You have to be willing to end some people's careers to make an example. I think that is the only way because you have to make – there's always going to be a certain level of booster involvement with coaches, but there has to be some clearer lines to find between coaches and boosters who are basically trading money for access. They're willing to go out and meet a kid from Brookhaven, Mississippi, and uh, give him some money to feel like they're part of the program, to feel like they're involved, and to have interactions with coaches and that sort of stuff. You know, that's where that's where I think you know what. There's only so much you can do to the booster, but you can do a lot to that coach that involved that guy. And I think that's where the line has to be drawn. I think we can all agree what we're doing now is not working. And it's so, it's so much more different in the NBA because, number one, there's only 30 first-round picks. And so the competition for those positions are very, very uh, fierce. 
but a lot of these guys that are taking money are guys that you know are you know second round picks or foreign league players and that sort of stuff. And so when you go out and you have guys that are exporting these kids for millions of dollars, there has to be some level of accountability. And I think I don't think the FBI went far enough. I think the whole thing is a little bit silly the way they went about it anyway. I think what you have to do is if you're the FBI, you've got to be a willing partner with the NCAA. If you really want to change things and you really want to change the culture and you want to stop college coaches from accepting bribes, and, and I, I kind of struggle to call it a bribe, to be honest with you. You're, you're paying that guy for influence. But if you want to stop that sort of things, you've got to go get the coaches. Because the NCAA has no, and I mean absolutely no, jurisdiction over these handlers and these agents. that They simply don't. You know, the states can step in in some situations. In some states, you've got laws that govern agents that uh, if they cost the kid their eligibility, there is a penalty for that. But the coaches that work in the NCAA, they have to have a certain level of accountability. And I think the FBI could have made brought some real change here. And I think in, in the long run, we're going to forget all about this. We're going to forget years from now. So, hey, do you remember that time when the NCAA had the deal where uh, all these shoe companies were paying for these kids and then a couple people got probation? And now the NCAA is out there handing these notice of allegations out for some of the things that have happened. The NCAA is embarrassed. They should be embarrassed. But they have really let this go on for a long time. I think there has to be sweeping legislative change in order to clean up recruiting, especially in basketball. It is as bad as anything. And listen, there are a lot of kids out there in football that get things too. I'm not a Pollyanna. I get it. But what we're seeing in basketball, with you know, there's there are some unscrupulous people that are involved in some of these summer league teams that you know set up a nonprofit so they don't have to disclose where money comes from and that sort of stuff. It is incredible. The money just on around in amateur basketball, and you can you can either fix it, or uh, you can you know find a way to to level the playing field a little bit and make it uh, somewhat of an allowable deal. But uh, what we're doing is clearly not working. So if you watch that, it's two hours, and there are times it's a little bit slow. I thought there were some parts of it were kind of boring. I, I didn't really care about Dawkins' background. I just you know get me to the meat and potatoes. Get me to the wiretaps. Get me to the FBI stuff. Get me to the evidence. I want to know what these people are accused of doing, and I want to hear the evidence to support those charges. I don't really care about uh, you know you grow, growing up playing uh, AAU basketball. That, that's of no interest to me. So when you watch it, kind of understand there's some parts of it that are going to kind of drag. They probably could have got the whole thing done in an hour rather than two hours and five minutes. But uh, it is very fascinating to hear the smoking gun and to hear Will Wade especially. Uh, talk at length about that offer that he made to kids and that sort of stuff, and they're just they're, there's no backing out of it. I know people say, well, how else could you interpret it? I, I don't know how you can interpret it. There's no way that uh, we're talking a scholarship offer because well, he offered him a scholarship, and it says, well, it was more geared towards the family. How is a scholarship offer ever geared more towards the family? A scholarship offer is what it is. Everybody benefits because they don't have to pay for their kid to go to school. It, it's so stupid. I just don't know how that continues. How how do you continue to let that guy continue to coach? And uh, I think I think it's a bad luck for LSU. I think it's a bad luck for the SEC. It's a bad luck for college basketball. And my hope is that maybe some people, and probably the casual fan, will see this and, and perhaps uh, kind of get up in arms about it. But uh, there is a lot of pressure right now 
on uh, the NCAA and some of these coaches, and I suspect there probably have been uh, some conference calls made today. I just don't know if we learned a whole lot last night, but we did get to hear a lot of that ourselves. And that's where we are. So look forward to being back with you guys on Friday. You never know what we're going to have then. We'll have a new top ten list. We'll be able to talk about some other things. But again, this afternoon, closer to this evening, look for that Q&A with Mike Leach. Look forward to talking to you all on Friday. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.